before we look into God's word. Father, we are a people who are wired to worship. And we know that if any of us or any person chooses not to worship you, we know that that will not just mean that we stop worshiping, but Lord, we know we will worship something or someone else. And Lord, it is my heart's desire today as we look into this passage of the Word of God that you would draw all of our hearts, Lord, into once again being drawn into worshiping and filling with being filled with wonder, wondrous worship of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray that we might exalt Christ, we might hold him up, that we might help us to be reminded of why he is so awe-inspiring, so worthy of worship. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would evoke this kind of response from all of our hearts today, that truly Christ would be the one we worship. We pray in his name. Amen. I wonder if you could honestly say that you've ever received a gift that left you speechless. Think about that for a moment. Have you ever received a gift that was too wonderful for words? I've been trying to think of what kind of gifts that might entail for some of us. Maybe some of us have had thoughts of receiving a gift that had or contained an element of surprise. For example, some of us may have had a loved one that comes home unexpectedly from being deployed overseas, and here they show up, and there they are as a gift to us. And certainly that does sort of don't know how to explain, explain or how to exclaim our sense of wonder at that, for a couple of moments at least. Another gift that might leave some people speechless is because they receive a gift, and in doing so, they know the kind of sacrifice that was involved in making that gift and what it took to present that gift to you. So it may be some sort of handcrafted item that the person has labored over for countless hours, uh, some sort of article of clothing or stitching or painting or sewing or something like that. Those always mean so much more, it seems to me, than something you can uh, merely purchase in a store. Perhaps it's the sacrifice that the person who has such little to start with is willing to part with what little they have and give you something. And that gift, even though it may not be worth a lot of money from your perspective, nonetheless is understood as being something quite sacrificial. I remember the story of my son, one of my sons, Eric, when he was involved in a missions trip while in high school. They went to Nicaragua and off to the eastern coast where there's uh, just abject poverty. And they spent a number of days there working in this community, trying to help uh, rebuild some homes and some food uh, distributed. And they were playing with the children in the neighborhood, in the community. And one little boy, who I'm sure had very little to his, his family had very little resources, uh, abject poverty. And of the few things that he owned, his probably most prized possessions were a handful of marbles that he would play with all the time. And I remember Eric coming home and with tears in his eyes saying, look at what this little boy, he named his name, look at what he gave me, he gave me one of his marbles. That made a profound impact on my son, and obviously so because of the kind of sacrifice 
that entailed in someone giving when they have so little to start with. Or maybe it's a kidney someone donates for someone who is in need of kidney replacement. Those are kind of sacrificial gifts that oftentimes can leave us somewhat speechless. Or it could be a gift that maybe meets or satisfies a longing that has been in your heart for a long, long time. <clears throat> You've had a desire to have <clears throat> the whole family reunion, a get-together of all of the, the clan, as it were, or, or to have some <clears throat> memorable experience that you've dreamed of for years. Well, I'm not sure what it is that it takes for you to get a gift that actually makes you speechless and leave you speechless. <clears throat> but if there's any time you ever thought there's something so wonderful for words, I would imagine that what you're trying to say, if you can't say it, is to somehow express a sense of gratitude and thankfulness. There's an overwhelming sense of gratitude if you get something that is that kind of, of uh, amazing, valuable gift to you. <clears throat> and if you think about whatever words that you might have tried to say, they always seem a little inadequate to you when you're trying to say them because you've been filled with a sense of wonder and amazement that this gift would be extended to you. Now, as I'm pondering this, I am thinking about the fact that if Jesus had never been born, if God had withheld from us the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, I would suggest to you that we would have and enjoy many, many blessings. There's no question that there are many blessings to be found in this life. And there'll be a long list of things that we could obviously thank God for. But I would suggest to you there's nothing that we could receive that we could actually term as indescribably wonderful or a gift that is indescribably amazing, a gift that would somehow lead us to be filled with worship-filled wonder and amazement. And so I've modified my sermon this morning. So you've wanna, if you want the right title to this sermon, I'm changing the title. The title is not, what if Jesus had never been born, an empty manger leads to indifference. An empty manger leads to a loss of worship-filled wonder. And that's what I want us to explore this morning. Something that leads us filled with wonder. See, all of us have received gifts from God. But if God had withheld His Son from us, the gift of Jesus Christ we would still have this long list of reasons to be thankful, but I assure you, we would not have the most precious, the most valuable, the most indescribably incredible gift, and that is His Son, Jesus Christ. Because everything else we may gain or possess in this world pales in comparison to the wonders of Christ. So this morning I want us to think of several Several different reasons why Jesus, I believe, truly is a gift beyond description. And the text I'm using this morning in my thoughts about this particular theme is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, at the end of the chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, page 1379 in your pew Bible. Paul, in talking about the importance of being generous with what one has received in, in, in terms of one's assets, one's material blessings and benefits, and to be sure to share them liberally with other people who might be struggling and suffering, like the fellow believers there in Jerusalem that he's collecting for them. And so um, he talks about this idea of, of uh, being liberally giving to that in chapter 9. 
We'll pick it up in verse 12. For the ministry of this service, not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution or your partnership <clears throat> to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surprising grace of God in you. And in this last verse, verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Or as some translations say, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Well, that's a remarkable statement, let me say, first of all, before we look into the three reasons, I would just like to back up and just say this sentiment by the person who wrote it is quite remarkable. Because the person that wrote this, the Apostle Paul, at one time, his view of Jesus Christ was just the opposite. Paul viewed Jesus Christ, when he used to go by the name of Saul, he would call him Jesus a corrupter, the person who has twisted and distorted and ruined all of his religious traditions that he valued so highly. It was Jesus Christ that he despised at one time. And he was so passionate about his, his dislike and his hatred for Jesus Christ that he was investing his time and energy to do whatever he could to destroy anything or any cause that was affiliated with or somehow under the umbrella of Christianity. He despised Jesus Christ. And for Paul to write these words, clearly it's not an exaggeration to say that he probably viewed Paul, uh, Jesus Christ as worthless. And therefore, in making such a sentiment, I believe Paul would have committed what he confessed to being in 1 Timothy chapter 1, a blasphemer of taking the most valuable person in all the world and saying he's worth nothing to me. But after Paul was brought to his knees, and after he was confronted by the crucified and living Son of God, Jesus Christ, his heart, thank God, was changed. His outlook changed. His attitude to Jesus Christ changed. And now he is saying, and it's true of the reflection of his heart, that Jesus Christ is an indescribable gift given to him and to all who will believe. And so I want to consider three brief reasons this morning why Jesus Christ is indeed such an indescribably wonderful gift. First of all, I would say that Jesus is beyond description because he is wonderful when it comes to his person and his character. His person and his character. See, Jesus Christ is like no other person. He is unique. He is a one of a kind. He is unmatched in his person. He is the perfect God-man. And he is completely and always patient and kind. Jesus Christ was never ever envious. He never boasted in inappropriate ways about himself. He never used people to meet his own selfish needs. He had no selfish needs or desires. Jesus Christ was not irritable. He was not resentful. He was not one to ever hold a grudge. He never celebrated wrongdoing. 
He always, without exception, he always spoke the truth in love. He never had to walk back anything he said. That's enough to make all of us stop and think twice, isn't it? How many times have what we said gotten us into trouble and we've had to backtrack and either apologize or to correct or to add further details or to dig ourselves out of that ditch that we just created? He never apologized for any word of action. No word he ever spoken need to be withdrawn or modified in any way. He confessed no sin. And he never failed to follow God's standards. Not once. He never used people to satisfy his own sexual desires through sexual immorality. Never was found in Jesus Christ any impurity of all even in his mind, not to mention his language. There's no jealousy in him, no fits of sinful anger, no drunkenness, no envy. As a matter of fact, as we, the more we look at him and consider him, we see him as a person whose heart was filled with compassion. He embraced the least of the least. Jesus in summarizing his life, it is Peter who took time to try to succinctly describe the wonders of Christ. He put it this way in Acts chapter 10. He said that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus went about doing good. And healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Of who else can that be said? Who else can be described in such wondrous, amazing terms? Never will you read in Jesus' life story that he stirred up trouble or failed to selflessly serve other people or even failing to take a stand for righteousness. Jesus was a brave and courageous, valiant warrior for truth and for justice. But he did so with grace. And he was the only one who could ever be called righteous and true. I don't know about you, but I don't know how long it took you to live in this world before you became somewhat disillusioned with people and how disappointing they can be. How people can not live up to your expectations. Many of us have had hero characters, people that we've oftentimes thought of as being commendable people we look up to and admire. Even most recently, a famous comedian is now being talked about quite widely as being a person who was a womanizer, a person who was a sexual assaulter. And again, these things have not been proven, but it just, there's so many of the people saying these things about him that it, it seems a little hard to believe it's not true. And perhaps many of us feel the deep sense of which people don't amaze us because we've seen them up close, we know who they really are. The best of men are men at best. No wonder it can be said that those who have received Jesus Christ, however, those who have believed upon him, those who have seen his claim 
of being the Lord and Master and have submitted themselves to that, embraced Him and called Him Lord and Master of their life, it's no wonder that they oftentimes are, are seekingly, are seeing, trying to grasp a way to adequately express the sense of wonder that and amazement they have because they have really begun to understand more profoundly how wonderful Jesus Christ really is. For example, I came across a hymn the other day called Come Ye Sinners. Listen to this. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity and power. And then the author says, and I will rise to go to Jesus. He'll embrace me in his arms. In the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are 10,000 charms. I think that author is trying to express in some way that I cannot possibly list all of the amazing ways in which Christ charms his heart. There have been poems written, songs, oratorios, books, composed and compiled and put together in such a way to try to attempt to express the wonder of the indescribable gift that Jesus Christ is to any sinner who receives him by faith. I'm wondering, have you ever been lost in wonder and love and praise? Because I'm convinced that Jesus Christ is an endless spring of joy and delight and wonder that never runs dry to those who truly know him, trust in him, and believe and surrender to him. So Paul says, yes, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift because he's thinking and reflecting perhaps about the character and the actual person of Jesus Christ. But more than that, Jesus Christ is beyond description because he rescues helpless sinners like you and me from an eternal ruin. And not only does he rescue us from eternal ruin, but he crowns us with honor. And how does he do so? At great cost to himself. See, Jesus did not come into this world in his first advent, the scriptures say in John 3, to judge the world, to mete out justice, to give to every one of us as guilty sinners what we deserve and what we had coming to us. That is not why he came in his first coming. But Jesus entered the human race so that he could provide a sufficient substitute for every sinful person who repents and believes upon him. He laid down his life for his enemies. That's what we were just reading in our first hour in our small Sunday school class there. As we talked about in Romans 5. For his enemies, he's laying down his life. As a merciful, loving Savior, he permitted wicked men to drive nails into his hands and his feet. And he offered himself to his Father as a sin sacrifice. He took upon himself the full force of God's wrath against the sin that we deserved. And he died for those who deserve to die, undergoing the unspeakable torment of this Righteous wrath of God and fury against the sins of his people. 
And so I wonder if you've ever taken time to ponder when Jesus was on the cross, there in his misery and his suffering, in unspeakable physical pain, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The cry of dereliction, which is a quote from one of the Psalms. How can it be that God is forsaken by God? The thought is deep and profound. It's beyond us. How can it be that God himself would supply the sacrificial lamb that pays the penalty of my sin, of your sin? How can we adequately ever express to such a gracious Savior whose atoning death on the cross cleanses his people from all sin? How can we ever adequately express the sense of wondrous amazement and thanksgiving to him. Indeed, how can we put into words our deep, heartfelt sense of wonder and adoration that Jesus Christ restores those who were his enemies, he gives them and restores and puts them in a place in which they are now in a status in which they receive his full favor, his full blessing, his full love and affection and approval. All done as a full result of his selfless love, laying down his own life for us and blessing us with not just a temporary reprieve to somehow give us a, a temporary break, but he gives us full and eternal forgiveness. So much so that the scriptures use incredible metaphors to describe the kind of full forgiveness we receive in Christ. In Micah chapter 7, God, it is said, hurls all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. If you ever wanted to have, be, be, have something be completely uh, gone and lost and never found again in that day, you would just throw it into the sea. No one would ever find it. They had no equipment, no ability to retrieve anything as deep as the bottom of the ocean or bottom of the Sea of Med Mediterranean Sea. In Isaiah 44, God says, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist, like the piercing sun that comes as the rising, as the day continues to unfold and the sun pierces that fog and dissipates it and completely removes it. So God has removed all our transgression from us. Just as he says in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, those two points never meet. He's removed our transgressions from us. As he grants to everyone who repents and believes this free gift of eternal life, how can it not cause a sense of wonder and amazement in our hearts to well up? Would we not have be filled with a sense of indescribable and unspeakable thanksgiving and wonder for God giving to us the assurance of salvation through the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit? who bears with our spirit that we truly are sons of God? Do you consider Jesus Christ to be an inexpressibly wonderful gift to you? And do you sense that that is true because of the immeasurable cost that he took upon himself so that you and I might enjoy the full benefits of salvation in him that he has secured for you? Is it any wonder that hymn number 61, and I'll invite you to turn there in your hymnal, 
that Charles Wesley raises a question that I don't think he ever answered. Hymn 61, Can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me? Who caused his pain? For me? Who him to death pursued? Amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, should die for me? It is amazing, isn't it? It is something that ought to fill us with a sense of wonder. Worship-filled wonder because of the indescribable gift of Jesus Christ. Do you know that indescribable love? A love that will not let you go? A love that expressed such cost paid on their end in order to bless you, free you, save you, rescue you, adopt you? Surely Jesus Christ is an indescribably wonderful gift. I hope you've received that gift, my friend. Number three, Jesus Christ is a gift beyond description in that the gospel benefits he provides are freely bestowed on the basis of grace. On the basis of grace. It is appropriate to celebrate, yes, Jesus' character and his person, which I think ought to fill us again with wonder and amazement. We celebrate his selfless dealings with us in the gospel. Certainly that is appropriate as well. But Jesus Christ also is indescribably wonderful in the gift of salvation, being given to undeserving sinners in accordance to God's unmerited favor. You see, our sharing in the blessings of the gospel have nothing, absolutely nothing to do with our performance, with our being people who perform well and do the right things and become people who are respected and respectable to God. There is no such thing. What's amazing is that there's no achieving any kind of level of competency or adequacy before God by somehow doing or checking off a list of good works that somehow will bring us into good standing with God. There's nothing in terms of our attempts to get on God's good terms or better terms with God by stopping certain things that we've been involved in or, or taking on certain acts of charity or taking on certain generous, selfless deeds to other people in need. Because since all of us are lawbreakers by nature, and since all of us are, by example, lawbreakers in our actual lives, we stand guilty before God. And none of us deserves His favor. But to everyone who believes upon Christ, everyone who receives Christ, as Lord and Savior, God gives them the authority to become children of God. He grants them the privilege of adopting them into his family, calling them his own sons and daughters. And this is all done on the basis of grace, undeserved favor shown to us. Sinners who are saved through faith, trusting simply in Christ alone, not by performing any kind of good works. And none of us at any point can brag about ever deserving God's favor. And that is why repentant sinners will always stand amazed at how God has dealt with his enemies through the cross of Christ, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is God who bestows to each one who repents and who believes on Christ an undeserved gift of eternal life. In Jesus Christ we find grace and truth. Grace, which means 
We don't get what we have coming to us. We've received so much we didn't deserve. The favor and love and eternal blessings of God. And through Christ, God does not give us what we deserve or what we've earned. Instead, He gives us undeserved favor. I wonder if the grace of God has ever left you unable to adequately express a sense of wonder and amazement and appreciation toward God in which you don't even know how to adequately express it. It leaves you speechless, unable to adequately express and put into words the kind of overflowing gratitude in your heart. Sometimes, because we don't know how to express it, <clears throat> it's possible and very hopeful and likely that the wonders of God's grace oftentimes will soften our hearts and get us to the point where we're willing to say, Lord Jesus, I am so amazed at your wondrous grace that I, in love and with a humble heart, I desire to bend my will to your will. I desire, not because I have to, but because I want to, as an expression of my love to you, I, Lord, I want to yield my life and my will to you. There are things I wish to do. There are things I desire to do. There are, I want to see my own kingdom built. But, Lord, I want to lay that aside because I want to see your kingdom built. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Interestingly enough, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you want to turn back to the, that text or if you have it there in front of you, just turn back one page. It's interesting that Paul, in this context of reflecting in sense of wonder of the wondrous gift that Christ is to his people from God, he mentions the fact that there have been some people who have responded to the need of the Christians there in Jerusalem and there have been a bunch of Christians there in Macedonia, the various churches there in Macedonia. And he says it's interesting, verse 5, in their response, they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Isn't an interesting phrase, to give themselves to the Lord? That's an attitude. That's a response that says, I am so amazed at Christ and what he's done and the wondrous gift of him that my response is to yield myself to him, to continually submit to God. Do you find that submitting to God is a, is a continuous chore for you, something that's laborious, something that's difficult, something that's pain-filled, something that seems to be the last thing you want to do on the earth? There can be those times in life. But I'm convinced the more we look into and dig into the riches and treasures of the gospel and understand how indescribably wonderful Christ is, the response more likely will be that grace will melt away our stiff resistance to God. That the grace that we've received through Christ is so indestructibly, indescribably wonderful that at times you're going to be offering yourself to God. You'll say, Lord Jesus, here I am. Take me, use me. Even the things that you want to clutch and hang on to with white knuckles and say, I'll, this is the most valuable thing in the world. I'd never have a hard time ever releasing this to God. You'll say, Lord Jesus, I give it to you. With an open hand, I hold everything that you've entrusted to me. 
even those things that are the most precious, which could be the people in your life. It could be certain possessions. It could be the things that you tend to sometimes live for. It could be the idols of your life, having approval of other people, being successful, gaining the uh, status you want before other people to be so good looking or whatever it is that we tend to live for. It's being willing to say, I, I release this. Why? Because Christ is so indescribably wonderful. There are there areas of life and hearing this reminder of Christ and how wonderful it is that you begin to say to yourself, am I really willing to surrender my time to Christ, my future? Am I willing to surrender the gifts that I have, my talents, things I'm able to do? Is there times where I'd rather not be using my gifts and I'd rather just do things I enjoy doing, but do I have a talent and I'm not using it for Christ and yet I know that that's what Christ has called me to do? Is there some of my treasure that I sometimes have a hard time releasing and letting go of? My friend, don't lose sight of the wondrous, indescribable gift of Jesus Christ. Not only does it have a vertical dimension to it, but I'm convinced that there is a horizontal dimension of how indescribably wonderful Christ is. And this is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And if you look again at these Macedonians and what their example of who they are, it's fascinating when we learn about the undeserved generosity that God bestowed upon them in the gospel. It led and resulted in their choosing to want to get involved in, in helping other people who find themselves in difficult times, even though they themselves were in difficult times. And what I'm alluding to here is in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Notice verse 1 and 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. What about these churches? Well, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of of their liberality. That's a deep sentence. That's a sentence you need to reread and read again. A great deal of affliction. What kind of affliction? They're facing deep poverty themselves. They're having a hard time paying the light bill. They're having a hard time extending out the olive oil to the end of the month to keep the lanterns going. These are people who are living with very little resources in this world. And the sense of amazement and wonder and the inexpressible joy of what Christ has meant to them and the grace they've received from Him in the gospel has led them to say, even though I don't have much, I would love to get involved in this person's need and offer what little I have to help them out in their plight. I wonder if that has something you've ever been caught up in yourself as you've stopped and pondered and gotten to the point where you've become speechless about the gospel and what Christ has done in grace to you, has it led you to have a generosity of spirit toward others around you? See, the believers in Macedonia were not waiting till they found an increase in their resources. They did so in their poverty, in their point of affliction, when things were hard and difficult. But notice that also the very significant statement, an abundance of joy. That's the key, my friend. 
It's not out of guilt, not out of, convic not out of conviction of saying, I have to do this, not out of a sense of obligation, not out of a sense of, oh, well, I guess everybody else is doing it. They're doing it because of an overflow of joy. Where does that joy come from? It comes from pondering the inexpressible, unexplainable wonders of Jesus Christ. I wonder, has the undeserved forgiveness of God that he's extended to you in the gospel, has it led you to generously forgive someone who has sinned against you? Has the undeserved favor of God led you to find an unspeakable satisfaction in Christ that has resulted in enabling you to fight against temptation when you're being compelled and drawn toward a pattern of sin or a particular area of vulnerability and sinful temptation. Has Christ become so inexpressibly wonderful to you in the grace we received in the gospel that it has enabled you to help fight off and say no to some form of temptation? One of the songs that was included in the concert on Wednesday night with the Gettys the words were not found in the program, along with all the other words they had in there. I think they added this song, uh, perhaps at the last minute. And the song they included is, Don't Let Me Lose My Wonder. They talked about as parents that they have small children. And when you experience life with small children, you begin to see how children are filled with wonder and amazement at the littlest things. You sit them down uh, in the grass and they just find things that they're just amazed at. They'll just look at it and, and, and find great delight in that. And spiritually speaking, isn't that the prayer that all of us ought to continually make? Lord, don't let me lose that sense of wonder at Jesus Christ, his character, his person, his selfless love, what he did for me in my place, and his grace that he's bestowed upon me. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would <clears throat> cause all of us to be filled with amazement and speechless wonder at Christ today. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today who has looked at Christ and sort of not ever given him a second thought and never been brought to that point, Lord, I pray that your spirit would even today apply the gospel to them in a way that causes their hearts to be amazed and caught up in worship-filled wonder to the point, Lord, where they respond in faith and surrender and trust whether it's the first time or whether it's the five millionth time. Lord, we pray that you would make the gospel fresh and alive to all of us. May we find great joy in Jesus Christ. May that joy be evident in our submission to you and yielding to you and surrendering to you fully and completely. And also, Lord, in extending ourselves in love to those around us in ways that are tangible and real and 
in keeping with the wonders of your selfless ways with us. We pray, Father, that you might accomplish wondrous things through us, your people, for the glory of your great name. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. At this time, we're going to...